Welcome to the Restoration Church weekly podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And be sure to download the Church Center app. This is the best way to stay connected and up to date with all that's happening at Restoration Church. Most importantly, we hope the following message will help draw you closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. We've done a lot as a church in 10 years. Uh, Last week, uh, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary as a church together. How cool is that? Uh, We made an intentional decision not to call it a birthday party. We called it an anniversary uh, because if you think of, and maybe some of you doctors or nurses could could correct me on this, but I, I was thinking about the birthing process. Like it's passive for the person being birthed. I think, like the the child doesn't do a lot in the process. Maybe I don't know. It's it's really the mother who's doing all the work, right? The the child is ejected from the mother, but it's not like the child did a whole lot. And so birthdays are passive. We, we celebrate, we celebrate these kids. We celebrate our birthdays, but like, what are we celebrating? I don't know. I didn't do anything to come into the world. Like everybody else did it for me. And so we're not, we're not passive. We wanted, we wanted an anniversary because an anniversary is a celebration of a decision that was made. An anniversary is a celebration of faithfulness. An anniversary is a celebration of commitment and covenant. And so we said, we're not going to throw a birthday party. We're going to throw an anniversary party because we are not a passive church. We didn't come into this area or this region passively. We didn't just land here by accident. We never have been a passive church. In fact, I think we're probably one of the most active churches I've ever experienced, probably that I've ever been a part of. Paul said that we should never grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so, you know, I don't want to belabor the point that we live in this post-Christian area that's super apathetic to the work that we are doing. But we need to understand that everything we do matters. And we can't be passive. We need to be active and continually reaching our community with the gospel of Jesus. Everything we do matters. The season that we're in called Be Rich matters. Our events matter. Our preaching the gospel matters. Our courses, our groups. We may not experience a harvest tomorrow, but how many of you have ever gone into your garden, planted the seed, and come back the next day with, a bush full of fruit. It just doesn't happen, right? You plant a seed, you do the hard work, you till the soil, you cultivate the area. In time, in time, in time, there is a harvest for the work that you do. And so we are going to reap a harvest if we do not give up. And some of you are here, testimonies of the harvest of, of God through restoration. And we celebrate that. And we celebrate that. That's why there's still balloons up. Right? That's why we didn't take them down after this. That's why we have these, those walls of these pictures so you can come and kind of peruse what's happened over the last 10 years. We're still in a, a season of celebration of all that God is accomplishing. So 10 years ago, we opened our doors to the public. We held our very first service, believing that restoration was possible. Believing that we could, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, help people experience life change. That individuals and relationships and households and communities could be renewed, could be made whole, through Jesus, and over the years, we've experienced this harvest. 143 baptisms over 10 years. It's pretty cool. Back in, back in Christmas, the Christmas of 2019, we had 554 people hear the gospel message at our Christmas Eve services. Just before um, 
COVID, we had 343 people in attendance the Sunday before COVID. We started this church with 75 people. God grew it to that point over the course of five or six years. Six, that's my math. Six years. There you go. Six years. We set out from day one to do good for this community. We knew from day one that we would be an outward-facing church. We were going to face outward. We weren't going to face inward and, and, and grow only internally. This doesn't mean that we're not interested in, in, in you, the people who are here. We want to grow you up. We want to help you understand what it means to follow Jesus passionately, to make your identity the central part of who you are and how you define yourself, Jesus Christ, because then you will turn outward and you will love your community well. We believe from day one that we could be a force of generous love with hope that we could give those who are far from God, those who have been disenfranchised by the church, those who have been wounded by clergy, those who have been beaten down by life or trapped in addiction or those just feeling guilt and shame, those who felt like they were wandering through life, we felt that we could give them a home to be restored. Some of you experienced that. Some of you are a testimony of what God has done through restoration over the last 10 years to restore people to himself. Jesus tells this great story in um, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, about how if a shepherd who has 100 sheep loses one of them, that he will leave the 99 and he will go after the one. He will chase down that one. He will go to the furthest lengths to find that one. And when he finds that one, he will put it upon his back and he will bring it home. He will do everything within his possible to reconcile, to restore the lost sheep to himself. And he does the work. And it was our goal from the very beginning that restoration wouldn't be about the 99 who are already here, but we would be about the one who isn't. We would be about the one who isn't. This isn't to say again that we don't care that you're here, that we don't want to grow you up, that we don't care about you. This isn't to say that we're only going to focus on the outside and, and forget everybody who is here, but we're eager for everyone to grow and belong and be connected. And what we've said it so many times, my friends, the closer that you get to Jesus, the greater your concern will be for those who don't know him yet. I fully believe this is true. And if you don't have a heart, I just want to say this, if you don't have a heart for those who don't yet know Jesus, it probably means that you're not very close to Jesus yourself. And that's a hard word to say, and I get it. But the closer you get to Jesus, the greater your love, the greater your concern will be for those who don't yet know him. And so what is true of all of our stories is that we were all ones at one point. We were all lost. We were all scattered. We were all ones at one point. But through an invitation or through your own wandering, you found your way to Jesus. And you're no longer a one. You're part of the flock. You're part of the 99. You're, you're part of the body. You're part of a family that is learning to love God in the same way that he has loved us, love others the same way that God has loved us. Recognizing that we're all ones at one point should compel us to love others within our reach. The love of God, in other words, that we have, the more we grow into God's love, the more we understand God's love should compel our love towards our neighbor. You are no longer a one, so you must turn your attention to the one that is not here yet. You're not a one. You're part of the body. You're part of the family. You're part of the 99. And so our attention should be towards the one who is not part of the body yet. But too many churches fail to realize that we cannot partner with God in reaching the world if we make the church all about us. If we're only focused internally, if we are in the church for the church, then we will never partner with God in reaching the world. And as I look back over the last 10 years, I'm so thankful that this body has decided to draw large, inclusive circles around our community. 
that we did not expect our community to become perfect before they walked in our doors, that there are broken messes, people in an addict stumbling in off the streets who come and find restoration in the name of Jesus in this place. We have decided to draw large, inclusive circles around our community. I'm so thankful that we've committed to meeting people exactly where they are, sinners and addicts and messy people with messy, sin-filled lives. And we've met people in the depths of their sin, and we have invited them onward into the grace and the life of Jesus. I love that we've embodied this well because this is exactly what Jesus did for every single one of us. He did not wait for us to become perfect. He met us in our sin and mercifully invited us forward. So we ought to do the same for our community. I'm so grateful for seasons like Be Rich where we get to express the love of God in generous ways as we face outward towards our community. So there is a lot of cause to give thanks, certainly, for all that God has done here. Thanks to each of you, but prominently thanks to God. We're beginning our series this morning, simply titled 10 Years In, 10 Years Out. And over the next three weeks, we're going to reflect a little, bit, a little bit on the last 10 years, and we're also going to continue to celebrate God's faithfulness. We're going to reflect on the nature of Thanksgiving, and we're going to look ahead at where we believe God is leading us as well in the next 10 years. I want to start by inviting Kevin forward. He's going to share a little bit about his story and the impact that restoration has made on his life and in his family. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. All right. Well, good to see everybody to get today. Um, uh, I'm just going to start by you guys have really made an impact on me. I'm wearing a, a Eagles shirt, which I normally wouldn't have done, but I think that's a good sign that I've become a strong part of this uh, community. Um, but my name is Kevin McClay. I'm uh, on the elder, elder uh, group here. Uh, this is an early photo of us. Um, we actually, um, my family uh, attended Grace Point, and we became part of the launch team. And uh, uh, you know, we've been reflecting a lot about the last 10 years, but... Um, our kids are a lot older now. We, we've uh, in a different place, but you can see in this picture, this was actually um, when we first joined the launch team. Uh, we were a family of four, but the youngest wasn't born yet. He he was uh, still working. He wasn't ejected yet, I guess I should say. <laughs> <laughs> that came later, but uh, but yeah, this is us and our oldest now, Emma. She's now in high school, and we were up very late last night at a band competition, so I'm, I'm also uh, facing some fatigue, but. Um, and just it, just the growth has been tremendous at this church. I really appreciate that. Um, so a little bit about my, my personal journey and just how that relates to uh, life here at Restoration. Um, you know, I was I was raised in a Christian home. My, my parents became Christians when I was young, and I was exposed to the gospel early. And I did make a decision. I think I was maybe around 10 years old when I um, received Christ initially. But into my teenage years and into my you know 20s, I I kind of faced, I, I became stagnant. I wasn't really growing. And I was, I kind of had the head knowledge and the heart knowledge of, of God and, and, his, and the gospel, but I just couldn't really understand how to put that into practice. And so I really um, was feeling pretty lost and, and depressed at times. Um, and, but I never really blamed God. I, I blamed myself. I knew that he loved me and I just didn't understand what I was, maybe I, what I was doing wrong, um, you know, through that experience. Um, but there's two important steps forward in my life that I wanted to point out. One was uh, meeting Heather and making the uh, decision to – the eventual decision to get married. It took a little bit of time. Okay. Okay. We might, we might say how much time. Uh, <laughs> but the reason for that was because I, I – again, it was the story of my life as I, I kind of – I have the head knowledge, the heart. My heart is there, but just stepping out in faith was, was a challenge for me. And so – Marriage is a big, you know, faith commitment. It's basically committing for the rest of your life, and you don't know 
you know, what obstacles you're going to face, you know, in that experience and just, you know, trusting in the future with somebody, you know, you're bonded to in that way um, is a big faith decision. So that was, that was number one. Um, and uh, number two, as a young family, as you can see, was joining the launch team. You know, it was, we didn't know what was in store for us. We didn't know what we were kind of getting into. But personally, I felt my heart was there, my, my, my mind was there, and my faith was, was just about there. It took Heather a little bit of time. She, I think her initial reaction was, I'm not so sure about this, but, <laughs> um, you know, good, th good thing I'm not too good at math. Like uh, Brian was saying, it, it saved him a little bit of time. It actually costs us a little time and travel each morning, but um, I can spin that to say that that's actually not uh, – we lost a little bit of time in sleep, but we gained some time and family time together on the, on the trips uh, to church. Uh, um, and so, you know, for me – um, just joining joining the church, it really was a collective step in, in faith. You know, the church, uh, we, were, we were launching something new. We didn't know what the reaction was going to be. Um, there was also a lot of um, uh, time put into preparing the building, as you saw some of the, the photos, and just that was very tangible for me. So, you know, and, and not quite knowing how to exercise my faith, you know, now I was actually doing things. I was taking action and, and kind of experiencing that together with everybody. I think about the, the kids' ministry, and just um, for me, the growth has been – you know, I, I was able to to kind of be with my own kids through through kids ministry, but also transforming from not just occupying their time and 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 freeing up the parents' time, but also just trying to speak the gospel into the life of the kids and, and watching them grow and ask questions um, has really been a tremendous blessing for me. And then just the opportunity of being an elder and then kind of seeing seeing the church function at sort of a high level view and just you know, seeing everybody's commitment um, and leadership and volunteering has, has been tremendous for me. Uh, but in closing, what, what I really wanted to just kind of get across to everyone is if I, I know there's people that are feeling you know stuck in their life or maybe they they're listening to the message, they they understand it, they feel it in their hearts, but they don't feel themselves growing. And I just challenge you to take steps in faith because you really have to give God some material to work with. You know, you have to you have to kind of take some steps forward and allow God to move you in that way. And it'll be a tremendous blessing to you. So I, but I thank you all and uh, look forward to the next 10 years. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. <clears throat> One of the most wild things, I think, um, seemingly crazy things that Jesus said in his ministry is during the Passover celebration. Here's what he said. He said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The disciples dismissed all that suffering nonsense. They, they thought that Jesus was coming, you know, to, to take over the Romans. That's what the Messiah was supposed to do. Messiahs don't die. Messiahs don't suffer. So they had this expectation of what the Messiah was going to do. And so when Jesus talked about his suffering, which he did numerous times with the disciples, they just dismissed it all. No, Jesus, that's not true. Messiahs don't die. You're the Messiah. No, you're going to reign victoriously. You're going to sit on the throne eventually. So Jesus talks about, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus is sure, though, he is going to die. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be beaten, scorned, and spit upon, whipped, and ridiculed. And then he's going to hung upon a cross until he dies. His blood is going to be spilt. His body is going to be broken. And then he does something so profound. And in our culture and in this day and age, I think so otherworldly. In this country where we strive for comfort, oftentimes so above all else, status and stability, something that seems so confusing, something that seems so otherworldly, he says something possibly just divine. He says this. 
After taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. This is my body given for you. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. I am about to die. That's what Jesus is saying. Guys, I'm about to die. I'm about to die this really, really horrible bread, uh, this death. And this bread represents the breaking of my body. And this cup represents the spilling of my blood. And I give God thanks for it. He gave thanks specifically for the meal because the bread and the cup represented God's liberation for his people way back in the Exodus. And now he's redefining it around himself. This cup and this bread is about liberation for all the people from bondage to sin. And through my broken, bleeding body for which I give thanks. These are some of the props that we use during um, our Good Friday service. I made this crown of thorns. Uh, the Jerusalem rose, though, that they probably would have made this throne had about one-inch thorns on it. And these are little, I don't even know what this is. This is taken from Kate Haas's front yard. So <laughs> I don't know what these are, but I put this on my head, and it hurt, okay? So think about this, being pounded into your skull. I give you thanks for this. That's what Jesus is saying. This is called a cat of nine tails. Um, it's, a, it's a whip with nine tails on it, shards of pottery or beads or ball bearings they would have put on the end, and they would have whipped him with this. 39 times they would have whipped him with this. Uh, if you've ever seen the Passion of the Christ, you'll know that his body was just torn to shreds. And then after this, they mocked him. You guys might know. That's why they put the crown of thorns on him. But they would have taken a very coarse purple cloth, and they would have draped it over him as a mockery, right? Yeah, Hail you as king. And so as his blood, um, his body, uh, the blood dried to this, and then they rip it off, reopening all those wounds again. Just imagine that. And then, of course, you guys know that they took huge, giant, railroad tie kind of like nails, and they pierced his feet and his hands through these you're telling me that jesus gave thanks for this i mean there's no way that jesus was hanging on that cross smiling there's no way that he was hanging on that cross thinking oh thanks god this is great thank you i'm glad i get to endure this no we know right because even in the the garden of gethsemane we know that he was dripping blood from his forehead right he had a condition uh, that caused by intense anxiety intense stress where his sweat was turning to blood we know that he felt abandoned on the cross. He was crying out to God, why have you forsaken me? We know, we know, we know it was a horrible, agonizing experience. In fact, it was the most agonizing experience that the Romans, throughout their perfecting of it over the years, could come up with. This, they wanted to make this as agonizing experience as possible that they could invent. It was an agonizing experience. And yet the writer of Hebrews tells us this. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Something about the cross brought immense joy to Jesus. It seemed mysterious, and we'll unravel this in just a minute, but what is so challenging to us, especially those of us who live in the most comfortable nation, in the most comfortable time in human history, I mean, we spend, if you just think about it, how many of your resources do you spend making yourself comfortable? That box on the wall that controls the, the temperature in your house? How many resources do you spend making yourself comfortable? The, the clothes that you buy, the, the shoes that you wear, the food that you eat, the medicines that we take, all of these, right? We live in a society that does so much to make comfort a central part of our life. And so what's so challenging about what the author of Hebrews tells us is that we should fixate our eyes on Jesus, who found incredible joy in giving up his life. We should fixate our eyes on the one who found great joy in self-sacrifice, who found such great joy in giving up his life for others. We should never take our attention off the one who gave thanks for the cross, 
he bore and the death he died and we should strive to become like this too i mean come on we thank jesus for his cross all day long right we will thank jesus up and down thank you jesus for your salvation for what you did for me for dying on the cross thank you jesus we thank him for the implications of our salvation how the the great tattoos that the cross has created over the years right um the jewelry that it's that it's created for us to wear we'll thank jesus for his cross all day long and that's important did you know that psychologists, therapists have, have already concluded that we move towards the object of our thanks? We do this. We move towards the object of our thanks. One of the ways we'll grow closer to God is by consistently expressing our thanksgiving to him. It's important for us to give thanks to Jesus for what he has done for us because we move closer to him every time we express our thanks to him. This is a little sidebar, but I think it's important for those of you in a relationship. If you're in a relationship... Here's a little relationship advice. If you're struggling in your relationship, if you feel like there's some tension, you're not getting along with your spouse, your significant other, or your children, find a reason to thank that person. Find a reason to give thanks, even with the person that you're irritated with. I know the last thing that you want to do when you're arguing is to thank that person, but maybe the reason your relationship is struggling is because it's a thankless relationship. And one of both of you feel taken for granted. And so find a reason, however small it might be, to thank the other person, to express your gratitude. Your heart, your mind, your spirit will move towards the object of your thanks. So it's important to thank God for all that he's done for us because we move towards the object of our thanks. We should thank God for the cross that he bore. But how often, how often do you thank God for your cross? How often do you thank God for the opportunities you have to lay down your life? And this is a really important question because the way you answer it will reveal how close you are to the heart of Jesus. How often do you give thanks for the opportunity to serve your spouse? How often do you give thanks for the opportunity to serve your kids or your friend or your neighbor? How often do you give thanks for the ability to give? In our more honest moments, the answer for a lot of us is probably not very often. And yet Jesus did. Jesus gave thanks for the opportunity he was given to lay down his life for others. He gave thanks to God for the opportunity to die for his friends. As horrible as it was going to be, as painful as it was going to feel, he gave thanks because he was given the privilege and the opportunity to get messy and ugly and bloodied and beaten in service of humanity. Because he knew something that we so oftentimes reject. He knew this. We are most human when we love. We are most human when we love. And love isn't about warm hugs. It's not about affectionate feelings. It's not the way we feel towards another. It is about self-sacrifice for another person on their behalf. We are most like God's design for humanity when we are in service of others. We live into God's intent for us most when we lay down our lives for others. We experience the greatest joys, what it means to be most human and most fully alive. When we put others first, when we think of their needs above our own, when we lay down our life to service other people, we become most human. We become most in love that way. See, in the middle of, in the middle of dinner, this very dinner that he's talking about giving thanks for his opportunity to die for humanity, he gets up from the table and he lays down his life in a practical and tangible way. He 
picks up a basin of water and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. This is after he's already given thanks. It's in the middle of the meal that he does this. And he does this to foreshadow his death that he's eventually going to die later that evening. He's laying down his life. And as an example, here's what he says. I have set you as an example. I have served you this way. The God of the universe, the one who's been given all authority, I am bending low and I am serving you. And I've set you in an example that you should do what I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed. If you do them, that term blessed in the Greek is makarios. It means happy. You want to live the happiest life possible? You want to be most fully alive? You want to experience the greatest joy, the greatest elation? Here is the secret. Lay down your life for others. Live a life of service. Live a life of love for other people. You will experience your blessing See, the mind and the heart of Jesus is so different than the mind and the heart of common man, isn't it? This isn't what we're told. We're, we're, we're told, no, no, t- take it for yourself. You, you want to experience some, some goodness? Man, take what you can get. Be, be a self-consumer. Be a self-protector. Be a self-advancer, self-promoting, self-centered, selfish people. You're, you're a self-reigning heart. And so do what you can do to prop yourself up, even at the expense and at the sake of other people. Put yourself first. That's how you're going to experience the greatest happiness. My friends, that's the very nature of sin. Martin Luther said that the nature of sin is homo and cravatus in se. It's the heart that is bent in on itself. It's a Latin term meaning the heart that is bent in on itself. And friends, we believe the lie that to be happy is to be turned inward. I think too many of us believe that lie. Certainly in the world, probably some of us in this room, certainly in the world, the world is telling us this day and now, we believe the lie that to be happy is to be turned inward. To look upon your own issues, your own concern, protection, advancement. But when we're looking inward on our issues and how unfair life seems and how everything is hard and nothing ever goes our way, We become depressed and self-pitying. When that happens, sin becomes an anchor around our soul. You weren't made for that, friends. You were made to be free. You were made to be alive. You were made to thrive. We thought there'd be life and control and taking ownership and becoming kings, but all we found was death. That's the story of Scripture early on. All they found was death. They thought eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would bring them to life, would bring them to control, would give them ownership. And yet all they experienced was ruined and chaotic relationships, ruined and chaotic lineages, ruined and chaotic households. And we've experienced that too. Selfishness, self-reign, self-protection, that is at the heart of all your problems. It's at the heart of all the chaos in your relationships. It's at the heart of all of your, your problems within your household. Because we were designed to love. God didn't design us that way. We were designed to love, to be most human when we love. So to give up one's life, to embody love, to literally become the symbol of love, man, there is a lot of life in that, my friends. When you lay down your life in service of others, when you, you're, a, you're a father, you're a mother, you lay down your life in service of your kids. I'm not saying enable your children to be lazy. I'm saying love your children well and serve them well. Serve your spouse well. Put other people first. You will find so much abundant life in that. And when you experience that life, then there's a lot of reasons to give thanks for the opportunities you have to lay down your life in service of others. And instead of scoffing at the times when we're called to be sacrificial, we should thank God for the opportunity to lay down our lives to be a servant. See, discipleship is the continually unfolding, continuous unfolding of our hearts towards Jesus. 
And I just want to leave you with a challenge to try it. And that's it. You don't have to believe me. Believe your own experience. Try serving other people today. Do it well. If you can't find the strength or the, the even desire to do it, then I would say pray about it. Say, God, I need your strength. I need your desire put in me to love other people so that I can do this well. And then try it. Try to be a servant of people and see what kind of life you experience and joy you experience from it. And you will have cause and reason to give thanks. So where are we going as a church in the next 10 years? I'm cautious to say anything of substance today because I've been challenged to finish one thing before we start another. (laughs) And the bridge isn't quite finished yet. So I'm not going to say a whole lot. Here's all I'm going to say about where we're going in the next 10 years. And hopefully maybe I'll elaborate over this in the next couple weeks because there are things to elaborate on. We're going to grow to become like Jesus as we continually face outward toward our community in creative ways. In new ways, in some big ways, so that the world, as they look inward, might see the face of God in us. Excited to do it with you, friends. Right now, we get a challenge to go love our neighbors, our family well. And maybe we need to begin by just simply giving thanks for the opportunities we have, because we will then move into the object of our thanks so that maybe we will experience the joy that God has for each one of us as we choose to lay down our lives just as he did for us. Amen? Let me pray for you as we leave this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, not just an example, but for the power of your Holy Spirit to actually do this. God, one of of the fruits that come with your spirit is self-control. And I know that there are a lot of times when it's it's not in my nature, in my human nature to want to serve my family or to serve my neighbor to go above and beyond to lay down my life in service of others and so i pray father my prayer for me this morning and it may be the prayer of all of us father is for more of you and less of me so that as more of you grows up inside of me and more i I hand more of my life and my trust over to the control of your spirit father that that my life would would face further outward than it did previously and my love then would be for others may the fruit of self-control rise up in me so that i might serve and do not and, and, and go beyond what my human nature and my tendency is to do but father may i truly step into the divine example that you have set for us we do pray this in the name of your son jesus amen Thanks for joining us today, friends. We will uh, do it again next week, same time, same place. Hope to see you there.